And welcome to Ray Mahuvim. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm so happy you're joining me today on jrootradio.com, which can be found on jrootradio.com, jrootradio hotline, jrootradio app. There's so many ways to listen to though. And thank you today for joining us. What we do here is we try to learn and to develop new skills and tools to renew and strengthen the connection that you have with your spouse. Now, how do we do this? Okay. We do this not only from a social science perspective, but we use the Torah as our guide and source of navigation. And as I'm saying those words, we use the Torah as our guide and source of navigation. I just want to... I want to mention, you know, how, how could we not mention the great loss of Torah we just had? I mean, there was such, such great loss, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking particularly in our community, talking about in the American community, which is, which is uh, going to Rav uh, Belsky, who um, was, was, was Mamish and Amit HaTorah. He was, he was, you know, I want to tell you, I was at the Levaya last last week Friday, and it was it was cold. It was freezing outside, and none of us knew how long the Levaya would be. And and I want to tell you, it just like before you knew it, it, we just stood there for three and a half hours. We didn't realize how we did it. It just just listening to the life of Rabbi Belsky, of what he was all about, what what his pillars were. The Amadatayra, Amadatayra, and you know what makes someone a gadol? What makes someone a gadol is as follows. What makes someone a gadol is not just the fact that he's learning Torah. Okay, learning Torah, okay, wonderful. Of course, that's, that's the core. That's the core. But that he acts Torah. That he acts Torah. That his life is kulay Torah. Everything he does, every, all his behaviors are all based on Torah's directive, the Torah's guidance, what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants from us. And you just sit there. And we were all standing there outside listening to this man's life, and we're like, wow, unbelievable, unbelievable. First of all, you know, for those of you, I, I, we all know, I, I have to mention this, and I actually, I actually heard the Levine Eretz also, where his son was speaking about him. First of all, the, the amount of Torah, that, that this, man, this man learned, just the, the motivation that he had to learn Torah was unbelievable. Real. It was just nonstop. It was nonstop. You have a chance to open up a Gemara and learn, learn some more, learn some more. And, and we see that his integration of Torah into his life didn't just play a role in the fact that he knew so much Torah, but he, it actually integrated into, into his behaviors. People were speaking about the chasadim that this man did. I mean, think about it. There were people that came to his home that, that, I mean, we're not talking, Mr. Belsky, we're talking about a gadolada, right? People come to his house with issues, with problems. Okay, so he helps them. But it wasn't just regular people. There were people who, people did not want to allow them into their own houses. People, well, I'm not taking this person to my house. I'm not inviting them for a Shabbos meal. I'm not inviting them for Pesach. Are you for real? I'm going to invite them? It's going to ruin my whole Shabbos table. And Rabbi Belsky brought these people in. They were saying one particular story that stands out in my head where there was this Russian woman who grew up, I'm assuming, as an atheist, and she was a writer growing up, and she had some sort of breakdown or other. Uh, who knows what it was? I have no idea, but I think it was a son who was describing this. Who, this woman came into the house. It was, I think it was Shabbos night, and she came in, and she erupted, like, violently. She just, like, had an, some sort of breakdown of some sort, and anybody else would just say, get out of my house. And instead, 
Rabbi Belsky Zatzal, he said to his family, you keep her here, let her sleep on the couch. Just let her relax, let her sleep on the couch, she'll be fine in the morning. Like, it was a very uncomfortable scene, you can imagine. She must have done things that whatever, but he's like, no, just let her, let her stay. Let her stay in the house, it's fine, let her relax, it's okay. Countless of such stories, countless of such stories, a man who would, he, he was not only Omer HaTer, but Mamish Omer HaChesed, a man who would just completely give of himself to somebody else. It would bother him when somebody else was suffering. So much so, so much so, that he actually had a based in. He had a based in, I think, Terry Vadas based in, whatever it was. And it bothered him because he was part of this bezin, and it bothered him to see how people came with cases and they were arguing with each other about money, financial issues, thinking to himself, what? Like, how could two Yidin fight like this? How could two Yidin just like be in such a machlekes? It bothered him when there was a machlekes. It, it, it completely bothered him machlekes. And it was a beautiful story that was said. You know, first of all, I think about your son. First of all, every time he would come back from Din Tyra, he, he just he felt so bad that two Yidin were in a machlekes and two that two Jews could just be fighting about money and so relentlessly and the Tayyanim used to make up stories and this and that. It just bothered him so much. And there was one particular story that stood out by one of the Maspidim who said like this. It was a beautiful, beautiful story. He said that once Rabbi Belsky came back home and he was very, very happy. And his children were asking him, Tati, you know, to call him Papi, whatnot. What, 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 why are you so happy? So he said, you want to know why I'm happy? I'll tell you. I was at a din tire today, and something happened that never happened before. And I, I'm Amish, I, I, I could jump up and down. I'm so, I'm so happy about it. What was he happy about? There was a din tire between two Yidin, between Jew, two Jews. It was a financial issue, whatever thousands of dollars that it was. And he was, he was part of the Bezdin, and he felt that, let's call it Reuven and He felt that Reuven was right and Shimon was wrong. And he, was, and he was explaining it in Bezin, he was saying why he felt that Reuven was right and Shimon was wrong. But for whatever reason it is, the Tayanim in the case manipulated it in a way, and I'm sorry to say this word, I'm not I'm saying that all Tayanim are manipulators, I'm not I'm saying that, but what I am saying is that in this case, they were, they were manipulating, and a lot of times it's true. A lot of times it's true, the Tayanim do manipulate. So they were manipulating the case so that to try to show Let's say again, so let's say he was saying that Reuven is right and Shimon was wrong, right? But they were trying to show it in a way where Shimon is right, and they were trying bringing riots and this and that, and he was used to this. And this, this is what made him crazy. This is what Mamish irked him so much. And in this case, again, they manipulated the situation, and they tried to prove that Shimon is right, and indeed the Bezdin decided that Shimon was right. Okay, and he, and he bothered him. He's like, Mamish, don't understand this. Like, how Tayanima, you know, making rings around this, like, whatever. It bothered him so much, and at the end, and he was explaining why he felt that Reuben is right and Shimon is wrong. And what happens is Shimon comes over to Rabbi Belsky after the case, and he says to him, I want to tell you something. Rabbi, he says to him, I, I, I know that I won the case. I know that I won the case. But after listening to the way that you explained it, after not just listening, but understanding the goodness that you have and everything you explain, I come to a conclusion that indeed I was wrong and the Bezdin was wrong and I'm going to go according to what you're saying and I'm going to let go and I'm going to give the money to Ruvain because the truth of the matter is is that you were right and despite what the Bezdin says, you were right 
And when Rebelsky came back home, he gave him such happiness. He was so enthralled. He was so happy. He was so like, not just taken back, but such a connection to another yid that he could connect like that to Kaddish Baruch and do the right thing. He was mamish like that. I'm not saying he was dancing in the house. I don't know what he was doing, but he was so happy. He was mamish so happy. He was so happy. This is Rabbi Belsky. Now, I want to tell you all something very interesting here. Yes, I was at the Levaya. Yes, I heard the Hespedim. Yes, I'm sure most of you who are listening to me right now heard the Hespedim as well. If you haven't, you should definitely listen to them. It's a chizik just to listen to this. Just to listen to the Hespedim, trust me, is going to be a chizik for you. It's going to be a chizik for you. Just to listen to what this man was all about. Mamish and Amad Atayra, but not just Amad Atayra and Chesed. He just integrated his whole, his whole mitzias, his whole life, was based on Tyra principles. So it wasn't just learning Tyra, which of course he was Amad Atayra, but he, he was... He, 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 a Kulay Taira in Chesed, in Midas, in Esnagis. He was just a, a Taira person, a real true Taira person. And I want to tell you something. I had a personal experience with Rabbi Belsky. It wasn't my <laughs> person, my, my own. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, and I was thinking whether to say this, not to say this, but I, I think it's important. I think it's important. There was a certain case that came to be, a Shalom Bayez case that came to me a while back. I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to give you the details. I'm not going to give you the problem. I'm going to try to keep it confidential. It's, the case is over, but it's important to hear. It's important to hear. Someone came to me with a particular case and asked the Rabbi Greenfield, you know, I have issues, Shalom Bayez, this, that, the other thing. Could you see us? Could, is it possible to see us? And as much as I want to help people and I, I want to see people and... It's really not me, because it gives me siyatishmaya to help people. At this particular time, I was just all booked. I just didn't, I didn't have room. I, I wasn't able to see him. I wasn't able to see him. I said to him, I'm sorry, I, I, I really can't. I can't see you. He says, could you, this and that. I said, I'd love to see you, but here I gave him referrals. Here's a referral. Try this, that, the other thing, and, and try it out, whatever. Try, you know. I, I'd love to help you, but I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. Fine. So he goes ahead, and he does research of who to go to. Now, I'm not going to give you Pratan, because this is not Chas V'Shalom, you know, I, I don't want to be my Tzilaz, I'm not going to give you Pratan, but it's important to know. This person, this person approached, he approached a particular Rav, and he came to this Rav and he presented him with his case, him and his wife at the time, and I'm not going to get into the details of the case, and he sat with the Rav for a while, for a while, and the Rav spoke to him, the Rav spoke to her, and after the conversation, after the meeting with the Rav, the Rav comes out. This is a, I'm not going to say reputable Rav, but a, a Rav. <laughs> okay. The Rav comes out and he says to this particular man, he says to him, listen, I listened to your wife and I hear the Tainus. And mind you, he spoke to him for maybe 15 minutes and he spoke to his wife for maybe an hour and a half. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but pretty much, believe you me, it was not a... Uh, you know, it was not done in a balanced way. But whatever, it doesn't even make a difference. And he comes back out and he says, he says to this guy, listen, I, I, I would love to help you. I really do want to help you, but, but, uh, but uh, I just want to tell you, it, it seems like this marriage is not really meant to happen. I'm listening to your wife's tightness. They're very, very strong against you. And uh, if you want, I can arrange a get. I, you know, I'm uh, about getting, I, I can arrange a get. We can arrange a get and we can finish it right now. This person was not, was not floored. He was mesmerized. He was traumatized. He was completely traumatized. He could not believe that a Rav would say such a thing. 
We're talking about first time. We're talking about first time going to the maybe going to the rub, telling him your case, explaining him. Now, mind you, some of you are listening to this might be thinking, oh, that's for sure. Maybe there was like a really extreme case over here. Who knows what there was? You know, you know, nurse or something like that. Nothing like that. Trust me, it was nothing like that. Nothing even close to that. Nothing close to that. Were there problems? Yes, there were problems. Don't get me wrong. There were problems. There were issues. But nothing close to Chas B'Shalem. And this Rav, based on his assessment and him sitting there listening to the lady, speaking to him and crying to him and getting him, she chapped him. She chapped him. That's what happened. She chapped him. And the Rav comes out and suggested a get. He was so floored. He, he didn't know what to do. The following day or the following next day, he calls me up. He says to me, please, what should I do? I that. And I felt horrible. I mamish felt horrible. I felt terrible. I'm like, I should have taken this case. Maybe, it, maybe I could have fit him in, this and that. I didn't know what to do. I, I did not know what to do. So I said to him, listen, I said to him, listen, I'm clearing time for you. I'm clearing time for you. I, I'm going to make time for you and your wife. It does not make a difference. Tell your wife. Tell your wife that you heard about me, this, that, and the other thing, and, and I'm more than happy to see you. I clear time for you. I'm willing to see you and your wife. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? This Rav would not allow this couple to go for help. Not by me, not by anybody else. We tried other people for him to go. The Rav sort of clinched the case, literally clinched the case, and he would not allow anyone to see this couple except for him and his advice, and his things. And he was giving aces to this woman. I, I, I push it. Again, you don't know who the Rav is. You don't have to know who the Rav is. But it's important to know. And I, I'll tell you, exactly, in a second you'll understand why. That this Rav was giving her aces to take the kids out of yeshivas and to get passports and this and that. He was literally making her, getting her ready for a get. Getting her ready for a get. It was, it's mamish a case to cry about. A case to cry about. We didn't know what to do. Well, guess what? We went to Rabbi Belsky. We went to Rabbi Belsky and we told him about this case. A and I want to tell you, I'll never forget this, because I'm sitting in Rabbi Belsky's house with this man and Rabbi Belsky and his shamas. And Rabbi Belsky is sitting there and he's listening to him. And Rabbi Belsky, you could see on this Gadol's face, he was floored. He, he, he was just so taken back. Like, he... He was, he was ready to cry. He couldn't believe what was going on. He could not believe what was going on. And, and he, he heard about this rub. He heard this and that. And there's no little bit of a complication of the case. But, but, but he was just floored that a rub could do this. He's, he couldn't believe it. And I want to tell you, Rabbi Isai, everybody's listening to me right now. This is very important. Rabbi Yisrael Belsky Zatzal, what he did, he, relentlessly, he worked and tried to do whatever he can to get this couple to go for counseling or therapy. He sent letters. He called the woman. He had meetings. He wrote letters. He, he called this, he, this husband. He, he, he called this husband. He spent time with his husband. He sat with his husband. What did Rabbi Belsky not do for this case? I see, I've seen this myself. How Rabbi Belsky was Meister Nefesh. And we're talking about, this is after, his, after the, four years ago. This is a pretty recent thing, okay? Where, where Rabbi Belsky was an older man. And by the way, he wasn't so old. But the point of the matter is, he he he. It says after the, you know, the, after the whole thing that happened four years ago, and he really wasn't feeling well since then. Anybody who knows, he wasn't doing well. But he put his kaiches, mesiras nefesh for the klal, to help other people. I personally witnessed it. I've seen how he was meiser nefesh, his nefesh, his neshama, his kaiches, his his whole guf, everything to help this particular person. He did. He did. That's another yid. 
In other words, this is what Rebelsky was. I can't tell you how much he was Machshav Shalom Weiss. I, I cannot tell you how much Rebelsky was And I ended up spending a lot of time with him because of this case. And I can't tell you what he did for Shalom Weiss. I, I, I can't tell you. He should be a male association for all of us. I'm happy you're listening to this show. And, you know, listening to the show, and I always talk about it, it's not just a matter of listening and, okay, it's a nice show, very nice. It's integrating it into our relationship. It's realizing the importance of Sean Bias. It's following in Rabbi Belsky's way. He should be a male for all of us. He should inspire all of us to, to work on our Shalom Bias, not to give up no matter what, no matter what, not to give up on your Shalom Bias. I, of course, I could personally tell you how many cases we, I've seen changed and, and the whole world changed. Change is so possible, number one. But to see Rabbi Belsky's Messias Nefesh when it came to Shalom Bias, it, it was palpable. It was palpable. Just to see a Gadol's, you know, Messias Nefesh, Rabbi Isai, anybody who's listening to this, there's nothing more important than your Shalom Bias. The word Rama brings it down, Hilkas Chanukah. We see throughout Chazal, right? Right? What are we saying? That HaKadosh Baruch could save any marriage. I'm telling you, HaKadosh Baruch almost, almost any marriage. Not, I can't say every marriage. In Echonami, there is getting the concept of Kedushin. But almost every marriage. There are exceptions. There are exceptions where people divorced and they tried everything in Echonami. And you need both parties in. But the bottom line is over here is that let's, let's follow in... in, in in, in Rabbi Belsky's ways, obviously with, with the Amada Torah and the amount of Torah he's learning and, and the motivation he had to learn Torah, but not just the learning of the Torah, but the living of the Torah. The living of the Torah through, through chesed, through, through connecting, through being nefesh for the klal, but being nefesh for your spouse. That's what I'm talking about. Not, obviously, okay, not everybody's anshe klal, but being nefesh for your spouse. Why? Because this is what HaKadosh Baruch wants. That's it. Because this is what Hashem wants. That's the reason. That's the reason. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it for Robert Belsky firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so happy you're listening today. I'll tell you why. Today, today's show is a very important show, and I'm looking at the clock here. It's like, oh boy, it's so late. So much to talk about. Okay. You know, I, I look at Shalom Vice. We talk about skills and tools and connecting. We talk about this, and I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I look at it like, you know, like, as if like you're putting together a uh, you're putting together a computer, right? You're putting together a computer, and you're connecting different wires. The different wires you're connecting. So you have the audio jack, and you have the processor, and you have this and that, whatever wires are in the computer, right? And you're com com connecting all the wires. Now, if you miss a couple of wires, not the end of the world. If it was an audio jack, okay, fine. You're not going to be able to hear the headphone. If it was a, if it was a mouse, okay, you won't be able to use the mouse. You can use the mouse pad. Okay, certain things are not important, but certain things are like, are in the heart of the computer, right? Like a processor. For those of you who don't know, a processor, what's a processor? A processor is, is the heart of your computer. The what? I'm sitting here with a bunch of computers. That's why I'm saying computers. But it, the what? The processor is the engine of the computer. That's, that's, that's what processes all the information, right? So if you, if you don't connect that wire, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem. You're going to have a serious problem. Your computer's not going to work. Similarly, when it comes to marriage, there's certain, you know, we're trying to connect wires here. It's all about connection, connecting to your spouse and connecting, using different wires to connect. But there are certain wires that are critical. Today, we're going to be talking about some of those wires, the critical wires, the real critical wires, and what happens when those critical wires get disconnected. You know, I, I speak much about, about, about what? 
I speak much about attachment theory. I'm not going to get into attachment theory right now, but believe you me when I say attachment is part and parcel of your marriage. The feeling of security, trust, knowing that my spouse will be there for me, just knowing that my spouse is there, and knowing that my spouse loves me and cares about me, whether you're male or female, doesn't make a difference. We all have that need. We all have that need to know that my spouse cares about me. Now, it might be interpreted or it might be fashioned. It might be guided in different ways, of course. You know, for women, what's more, they have their own primary needs and men have their primary needs. But at the end of the day, it sort of all sort of like funnels down to one very, very important part, and that's called attachment. It's the feeling that I know that you're there for me no matter what. And when that breaks, when we feel that our spouse is not there for us anymore, it's really not good. It's not good. It, it comes out in all sorts of different ways, all sorts of different emotional ways. Now, I want to talk about emotions, and I want to talk about how emotions are those wires. Those are those wires that connect us. They connect us. But if those emotions go wrong, if the emotions like start like breaking, if the wire starts, starts breaking down, it, it's very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous, especially when it comes to attachment emotions. We call them like, the attachment wires. The attachment emotions, those, when they start breaking down, then our marriage our marriages are really, really become very vulnerable and, uh, and, and could break apart. That's what I talk about. These emotional vulnerabilities, these wires that break down, the attachment wires. First, I want to talk about emotions themselves. Because before you talk about emotions, okay, emotions, I'm feel emotions. What is an emotion? Let's define what an emotion is because this is very important. I'll give you a comprehensive definition of what an emotion is. An emotion is a complex psychological state that involves three distinct components. And I'm taking this from Hockenberry, Hockenberry 2000. I think this is probably the most comprehensive definition of an, of an emotion. There's three distinct components. Number one, a subjective experience. Number two, a physiological response. And number three, a behavioral or expressive response. You, you hear what I'm saying? Three parts of an emotion. It's, it's, the subjective experience. Now, when I say subjective experience, I want you to think about this like your car. If you have a car, if you don't have a car, you could relate. A car has a bunch of sensors on it, different sensors. And when a sensor gets triggered, it causes different results. It causes different, different affect, different causes. What do I mean? I'll give you an example. Give you an example. If you, you're driving your car and suddenly you see that the engine light goes on. You see your engine light going on, and you're like, uh-oh, my engine light is going on. Now, you don't really understand what's going on. You just know the engine light is a problem with the car. Okay, you can't get an inspection. That's a, bit, it's a different problem. But besides getting inspection, you know you have a problem with your car. You want to take care of it, right? So what happened? What triggered the engine light to go on? What triggered the engine light was a sensor. It was a sensor in your car that sensed something was wrong in your car. And therefore, it created this behavior that what happened, it, it triggered this sensor that went off. Now, sometimes there are things that are happening in your car that you know about. Sometimes there are things that you don't know about. I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, your coolant system, right? So your coolant system in your car that cools the engine, right? So there's two parts of it. There's the coolant system, the actual coolant, the liquid coolant. And there's another part of your car, which you may or may not know, which is the fan. There's a fan in your car, actually, that cools the engine, okay? And if you ever notice, by the way, cars are always open in the front. There's no such thing as a car that's 
that's closed up in the front. It's always take a look t- today at cars, your own car. You might be listening to this in your own car. You could walk outside of your car later. You'll see your car's open in the front. Why is it open? Because it, it, it allows and regulates air to come into your car and it and it cools off the engine. Okay. So so you have a sensor in your car, which is the thermostat, and if your engine gets too hot, what happens is is that your 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 fan the circuitry in the fan is, is connected, and your fan goes off. Your fan goes, let's call it, goes on, and then it, it cools off. It cools off the engine. So what happened here? There was a sensor. There was a sensor, and it caused a behavior, which is what? Which is the fan to go on. Now, you might not even know that that exists in your car, but what you do know is when your lights go on in your car, when those, those signals go on, when the engine light goes on, or some other light goes on, and then it's like, oh, boy, what's going on? So think about like this. Think about your emotions like that sensor in the car. That's the subjective experience. The subjective experience, which is that piece of emotion, that, that part, this, the, this is the, actually the stage, the stage of the emotion, is the, it all starts with that subjective experience. That subjective, it's a subconscious subjective experience. Whatever, whatever that is, okay, there's an experience. And that leads to a physiological response, the same way in the car. The sensor led that your lights go on and shows you there's an engine problem, or your sensor led your fan to go on. That's that that could be a f- or actually uh, uh, actually the same way the sensor. Let's say say different. The sensor caused the physiological response. I should say the physiological response. I'm sorry, is not your fan going on. The physiological response is what is a certain circuitry that that allows the behavior to happen. That's the physiological response. And like some circuitry happens. So if you have an engine light that goes on, what's really happening is the engine line is telling you, fix me. Uh, there's a problem with me. There's a problem. Fix me. So if the engine light goes on, that's the physiological response. And we feel it in our, in, in our, in our systems. We feel it. We feel ourselves getting tight. We, our heart starts beating. Um, our blood pressure starts moving. We start getting all like antsy. We want to move around. We, 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 you feel it. You feel that emotion. You feel it. That's the second stage, the physiological response. That's that engine light going on in your car. And then there's the behavioral or the expressive response, right? The engine light's on. So now what should I do? I'll go to the mechanic, and I'm going to ask him, what's wrong with my car? Fix the car. That's the behavioral or the expressive response. That's our emotional third stage. The third stage is the behavioral or expressive response, where what happens is, I want to do something about it. What do I want to do? Oh, I'm so upset at you. Uh, I want to leave the room. Or I want to scream at you. Or uh, I want to tell you how terrible you are. That's the behavioral or the expressive response. So there's three stages, right? Same thing in the car, right? So there's a sensor. There's the engine light. Then there's going to the mechanic and fixing it. Same thing in your, in your body. There's the emotion, the subjective experience. Then there's the physiological response where you feel your body all like tense up. And then there's the behavioral or expressive response, which is basically I'm going to scream at you now. That's the three pieces of emotion, okay? Now, let's just talk about emotion, what type of emotions are out there. There's pretty much only a few basic emotions, okay? There's anger, sorrow, joy, surprise, fear, disgust, Guilt or shame and interest. Now, all the other ones are pretty much learned, or usually some combination of the basic emotions. Okay, that's and I really this is this is really much taken from DBT. Um, DBT is a very very popular form of therapy today. Uh, dialectical behavioral therapy pretty much combines cognitive and behavioral therapy, and it incorporates methodologies from various practices, including. Uh, 
you know, Eastern mindfulness techniques, different techniques. It's a, it's a pretty powerful form of therapy. A lot of therapists use it today, and, and this is one of its foundations. This is one of its foundations. Now, now, we talk about emotions. We talk about emotions. Today, oh, so, so what I want to talk to you about today, oh boy, we have so much little time, but okay. What I want to talk to you about today is two things, emotional reactivity, but more important, emotional regulation. Emotional regulation is when you go to the mechanic and you say to him, mechanic, okay, <laughs> mechanic, nachum, nachum, I got a problem with my car. I, the engine light's going on. What should I do? So, you know, sometimes I go to him, and I, I ask him, it's a problem, my engine light, what's going on? And he checks it, and he puts like a certain, you know, certain mission, like a little thing, he sticks it into the car, inside the car, and he says to me, oh, you got a problem? You have a problem with the engine? You have a problem with the pistons? Okay, I got to fix it. But sometimes he's going to tell me, um, you have a problem, but it's not really a serious problem. I say, well, what, what's the problem? It's a problem with your, with your gas cap. When it's not put on, the pressure, eh, it's not so important. Don't worry about it. Okay, fine. Do I have to fix it? No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay, so I'm going to ignore the engine light. I'm going to ignore the engine light. I'm going to ignore it. Now, generally, ladies and gentlemen, our emotions are important. What am I talking about? When you're feeling sad, you're feeling happy, you're feeling fearful, you're feeling embarrassed. We have to take them seriously. We have to take them seriously. However, the Torah tells us that there's one emotion that's generally flawed. There's one sensor that's generally flawed. It doesn't work well. This sensor, it keep, the light keeps on going on in your car, but it doesn't really reflect much. It, it might reflect the way you're feeling, it might have been triggered by something, but there's really nothing serious. And you know what that emotion is? That emotion is called anger. That emotion is called kas. Chazal tells us there's no room for kas. There's no room for kas. Exceptionally, exceptionally, pincha situations, kas. But even if you're a kanoi, even if you're a kanoi, there's no room for kas. The Gemara Shabbos tells us, it's not my words. Look it up. Shabbos What are we talking about? We're talking about that third piece. That third piece, I'm explaining it a little more. The third piece, that what? Talking about the behavioral or expressive response. If you feel yourself that you're constantly just letting loose, losing control of your spouse, letting loose, losing control, you, you, you have to realize you have incorporated a meter which is toxic. It's like looking at your car and you see that, that there's like, oh, here, I'll give you an example. Okay, it's a car. And this, this, the newer cars have this thing, tire inflation. Tire inflation, you look at your car and you, something goes off. Well, what's wrong with my car? Oh, the tire is not inflated high enough. It used to be only in the fancy cars. Now, I think for the past seven, eight years, all, all the cars, I drove a car the other day, they all have them. Okay, tire inflation. So I, drive, I was driving a car like this the other day, and whatever, and there was a and the tire inflation. So I went to the mechanic, and I and I inflated the tire, I inflated the tire, and I figured that the thing is going to go off. Guess what? The thing didn't go off. It didn't go off. So should I go crazy now? That the fact that the light's on? Okay, I figure out how to take how to take the light off. No, because it's a false signal. It's a false signal. That's what cast generally is. I could tell you ninety nine percent, cast is a false. Signal, a, a complete false signal. And I want to tell you something. The Mesilas Yesharim, this is actually in Perak Yudalef, in Midas Anikias, when he speaks about Kas, 
what he says is like this. He says, Kas is broken down, anger, Kas is broken down into five components. The first component of Kas is the worst type of Kas. This type of Kas the Gemara Shabbos brings down, people who get so angry and they lose control constantly, just completely losing control on a constant basis, very, very often. This is what, you know, the, the, it obviously says, that what? It, it's hard, or, or I should say, no, I should say, it's not actually, no, sorry, take that back. That's not that's actually, it's very easy to be, to, to be, to, to be, it's very easy to get angry, very hard to appease. This is the first stage that the Messiah Hashem brings down, and that's, you know why it's for a couple of things. First of all, because of the lack of your emunah, because we feel like, oh, I'm upset at him because he caused me this. So he caused me this all because of him. It's not because of anybody. It's because of Kadesh Baruch Hu. Kadesh Baruch Hu decided. All the trials and tribulations, by the way, is all Hashem. Nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with the other person. So like Hashem, like Rubain says, a beautiful, beautiful marshal, right? Let's say a guy, let's say a guy's upset at you, right? So he takes, he, he's so upset at you. He's so upset at you. He takes some mud, really disgusting mud, he wants to throw it at you, right? So he takes this mud, and he wa- is about to throw it on He s- tries to throw the mud at you, and he throws the mud at you, and guess what? Instead of the mud landing on you, there's a wind that comes, and it, the mi- a strong wind, and the mud, instead of landing on you, it lands on him. Are you going to be upset at him? Of course you're not going to be upset at him. Why should you be upset at him? It landed on him. But why aren't you upset at him? Why aren't you upset? What do you mean? Why aren't you upset? He wanted to throw mud at you. You should be boiling mad. What does it make a difference if it mud actually got to you or didn't get to you? Why does it make a difference? Because it's, oh, well, he was the cause. If, he, if it happens to me, if he does something bad to me, it really does something bad, he caused it, didn't cause it, at the end of the day, it's his fault because it happened to me. But guess what? It's a big mistake. The reason it's a big mistake is because everything that happens to us is because of Kaddish Baruch Hu. If your wife gets upset at you and you get into a fight, it's called Kaddish Baruch Hu. If your husband, it's all because of Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now, I know what I'm saying is very high level. I, I know that. And I'm not expecting everybody to like, oh, Raginfield, thank you so much for ang- this great anger management tip. I'm just going to think about that. I'm going to be fine. Well, we should aim for that and we should think about it because it should help us. But someone who's completely out of control, that's called... That's called Kalakayas That's like the worst. That's what the Messiah Shem says. That's like the worst. Second stage is somebody who doesn't, it, you know what? He doesn't always get upset. But when he gets upset, oh boy, watch out. When he gets upset, trust me, watch out. That's called Kasha Lichais Vikasha Lirtzais. And that's what Abba is saying. Hard, it's hard for him to get upset, but when he, when he gets upset, it's very hard for, to appease him. That's second stage. Third stage of Kas is what? Is when the kas oisid by roishim. The what? The kas when he gets upset. It he gets upset, but it's like he, he keeps grudges. It's like he makes a whole thing out of it. That's next stage. The next stage, which I think is 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 most people. You know, maybe you have a spouses on the worst level, but the next stage is what well, it's called kasha lichais v'noyach lertzais. Kasha lichais v'noyach lertzais, meaning. You know what? Every once in a while, my spouse gets me upset, you might feel. Every once in a while, my husband gets me upset. Every once in a while, my wife gets me upset. And, and you know what? I try to control myself. I really try to control myself. I get upset. I feel it in my system. I feel my physiology. But I try to control my behavior. And you know what? Most times, I succeed. 
Well, you know what? Let me tell you something about the times you succeed, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you how important. You know what the Gemara Chulin says about this? It says, Toile Eretz al Blima. It's explained in the Messiah Hashem. Gemara. That what? Ein ha'olam niskayem ela b'shvil mi shabaylem piv b'shas meriva. The world does not exist only for these people who keep their mouth closed during a fight. Nisaira tivai b'kas v'hu b'skabarusai b'ylem piv. That what? What happens is, is that there's, a, there's your, your mida, there's that, you know, what we just said, subjective experience and the physiological response. You feel it in your bones. You feel getting upset. You feel anxious. But you're misgaber. You control yourself. And you don't lash back. You don't criticize. You don't attack. You control yourself. That's why the world is created. Now, again, this is not Rabbi Greenfield saying this. This is a Gemara Chulin that says, Tayla Eretz Albiba. If you take a look also in the Messias Yisharim, Perak Yudalf, Mitzvah he brings it down. This is what it's for people who control their Midos. That's it. Do you start realizing how important this is? Now you understand why, we're, why, why we get married, why we're tested with this all the time. This is why the world exists. So that's that level. And then you have the highest level. The highest level is Hillel Azakein. And that's where he was, he was, he, he had such cognitive discipline with Hillel Azakein where he just didn't get upset. He didn't get upset. There was no subjective experience. That's the highest level because he realized everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what we all have to aim for, to realize it's nothing to do with me. It's all through Hashem. That was Hill Azakim. That was Hill Azakim. So now, what do we see? We see that the Messias Yashayim, the Gemaris, Chazal tell us that Kas is one of the worst things out there. We have to control our caste. Do whatever we can to control our caste. No, whenever we can to control our caste. And we see how, you know, it's so funny. Bought down Huckenberry, Huckenberry, 2007. That what? Subjective experience, physiological response, behavioral expressive response. We had in Chazal. The Messiah Shasham had it hundreds of years ago. Yeah, hundreds of years ago. What? The Messiah Shasham explained already exactly how caste works and he broke it down. Okay, so we have it today in, 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 in you know, in, in science. Okay, like this. Now, today, I, I'm going to give you Be'ezus Hashem. We don't have a lot of time, and it's important for you to be listening to this because I may be writing some of this stuff down. I'm going to be giving you today, Be'ezus Hashem, different emotional regulation tips. Tips on how to regulate your emotion. And when I say regulate emotion, I'm not talking about the first two pieces. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about your subjective experience. Because that's something, of course, we should aim that we should have enough emunah that it shouldn't even bother us. But it's hard. It's hard. And I'm not necessarily talking about physiological response because you're going to feel right away. You're going to feel that cast. You're going to feel upset at your, at your husband and your wife. And I asked you and I told you and I can't believe you because, you know, different pirates that we spoke about. I can't get into that. But just, you know, whatever annoyance that your spouse did to you. You know, I'm so annoyed at you for A, B, C, D, E, R, F, G. So you're going to feel that physiological response. But we're going to talk about emotional regulation. And what I'm talking about is to work with our physiological response, integrate some cognitive, I would say some cog cognitive tools to be able to control ourselves and prevent us from behaving or expressing a toxic response. Because that's what we want to make sure. Like this. Now like this. Okay. 
So first of all, I just want to tell you, most of my resources here, are, not most of my resources, I say most of my resources, some, some of the skills and tools I've developed my own over the years, but I will tell you that I've researched all of this using reputable sources. I, um, let's give you some of the names of the sources that I've been, I'm using today. APA, American Phys uh, Psychological Association, Mayo Clinic, using different forms of therapy, DBT, CBT, EFT. I'm not going to get into the miles of therapy right now. But I'm just going to you know, use some of their principles. Obviously, you know, therapy is something that's, that's, that's done one-on-one. -on -one. It deals with, you know, with treatment plans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's not our purpose here today. Our purpose here today is to integrate skills and tools and to give you a, 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 what I call a first aid kit. First aid kit when it comes to anger. That's what I'm talking about. Because if you don't have that first aid kit, you have yourself a big problem. Okay, a couple of things. And I, I, I'm giving you a long intro, but this intro is important. Couple of more things. Realize you're going to get angry. Are you listening to me? <laughs> I don't know where you're listening to me in your car, in your kitchen. I'm here in the studio. I don't know where you are. Uh, but I will tell you like this you are going to get angry. You're going to get angry. No such a thing as a person doesn't get angry. It's, it's one of the basic emotions. You're going to get angry at your spouse. You've, you've gotten angry in the past, and you're going to get angry in the, in the future. And you have to have a first aid kit, because if you don't have your first aid kit, you're not going to know what to do, and it's going to be too late by then. It's going to be too late, because how many times have you gotten into a fight with your spouse? Come on, be real. How many times have you gotten into a spouse? Oh, I don't really get into fights. Well, the reason you don't get into fights is because you're controlling your anger. Maybe you're using the tools already. But what? We, we, we get annoyed. We get upset. We become angry, and that emotion is a flawed signal. It's a very dangerous signal. It's a very dangerous signal. You're going to get angry. So first of all, accept the fact that you're angry, number one. Number two, realize that what? Anger is very, very destructive and toxic and dangerous. If you don't deal with your anger, it can lead to anxiety. It could disrupt your relationships. It can raise your risk of illness. Long-term anger has been linked to health problems like heart problems, headaches, disorders, digestive problems. Unchecked anger can even be linked to crime, abuse, and other violent behaviors. I I'm not just saying this. This is based on research. Research shows that anger can increase people's, especially men's, chances of developing coronary heart disease or having worse outcomes if they have heart disease. Anger can also lead to stress-related problems, insomnia, digestive problems, headaches. It's very, very dangerous. And remember, you're going to be tested with it. You are going to get angry. You need that first aid kit. You need that first aid kit. Okay, so like this. Number one, I can tell you, and you could do your own research and you'll see, that everybody speaks about one key important thing. This intro. First, we're working on our physiology. We're trying to deal with our state, our mood, our anxiety, that, that tightening of, of, of the gut, the, the heart rate, the pulse, the blood pressure. How do I control it? I'm so upset at my spouse. I'm so upset at my wife. I'm so upset at my husband. I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe you just, I don't want to get into my like this, but I can't believe you just said that. I can't say, I'm getting very upset. Number one, and I have this in the workshop, Mr. Shem, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it available. I, 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 I don't know yet when it's going to be available, but, but this is number one. Breathe deeply. Number one, breathe deeply. You know, I say A, B, C, D. A, allow yourself time. You, you don't engage with your spouse. Allow yourself time. You, you were just triggered. Don't engage. Give yourself time. I say generally, try to give yourself an hour. If you can't, emergency cases, give yourself 20 minutes. You're not ready to discuss the issue with your spouse. You're going to get into a fight. It's as simple as that. You're going to get into a fight. So I'm giving it. What should I do? Okay, I have cars. I, 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 you're telling me, Chazal, is so important. What should I do? So I'm telling you what to do. Number one, don't take this like lightly. Breathe deeply. 
there are studies upon studies that have been made. When you breathe deeply, it has a, a sedative effect on your physiology. When I say breathe deeply, I'm talking about breathe from your diaphragm, not from your chest. If you're going to breathe from your chest, it's not going to relax you. So you have, you have to picture your breath coming up from your gut. That's, that's how it's brought down. That what? Your, your, breathe, your breath is coming from your gut, from your stomach. And what I say you should do, I'm saying this based on research, close your eyes, put your hands on your gut, on your stomach, and inhale and exhale deeply three or four times in a row. Count slowly to four as you inhale and count slowly to eight as you exhale. And you're going to see your physiology is going to calm down. It'll allow you to, 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 to go to the next step, which is cognitive. You are not ready for anything cognitive yet. You're completely emotional. When you're triggered by your spouse, trust me, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are triggered. You get upset. You want to lash out. You want to criticize. You have your hats on. So number one is calm yourself down. I'm telling you, physiologically, it's been proven many, many times over. Close your eyes. Hold your stomach. And picture your breath coming from your gut. Inhale and exhale deeply three or four times in a row. Count slowly to four as you inhale. Count slowly to eight as you exhale. Focus on feeling the air move in and out of your lungs. Concentrate and feel your ribs slowly rise and fall as you repeat the exercise. And then, you know what you say? Use mantras. Talk to yourself. Say to yourself, relax. Take it easy. HaKadosh Baruch is testing me now. It's okay. I'll be fine. It's okay. I'll be fine. You don't understand. Your cast could lead to, 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 to horrible, horrible, horrible averis. Horrible averis. I, 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 can't, I can't tell you what, what criticizing and attacking your spouse with terrible Avera have by, by making your spouse feel bad. It's an Avera. It's an Avera. So I know this all sounds strange to a lot of us. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm very serious. You feel you're losing control? Go into another room. Close your eyes. Calmly and deeply breathe. Feel your stomach. Let it come from your gut. And use mantras. Say to yourself, take it easy, relax. That's number one. Relaxation. You have to relax. You have to relax. Number two, if, it's some, if you're still feeling that you just can't deal with it and you can't be mevater, that's the aim, by the way. The aim is to be mevater, just to let it go. Call him mevater al midosav, mavirin lo kol pishav. This is what marriage is all about. That's why Shalom is so important because we're mamish holding up the world. Every day when our spouse gets us upset, we're holding up the world. Gemara Chulin, what does it say? It says, those of us who close our mouth, we do not fight with our spouse. We're mevater. I know, I know. Sometimes you have to negotiate, but believe you me, most of us are not controlling ourselves as much as we should do. And the negotiation should happen one, I don't know, one in, in 20 times. It, sh it shouldn't happen. It, really sh it should hardly happen. Sometimes you have to negotiate. I'm not saying, I, I know that. But trust me, most of the time, let it go, let it go, let it go. Now, I want to tell you, there used to be a belief there used to be a belief that venting anger extinguishes the flame. It's called, it's called catharsis theory. Okay? Catharsis theory predicts that venting anger should get rid of it and, therefore, and should therefore reduce subsequent aggression. And what we're talking about, when we're talking about venting anger, it's very important to know what I'm talking about. Talking about, pit, like they used to say, oh, you know what? You're upset at someone. You're upset at it. You know what? Take a pillow and picture that person and punch the pillow. Obviously, I'm not talking about your by a spouse, but 
Stop, you're upset, so I'm going to go punch the pillow. I'm going to think of the present. I'm going to punch it. I'm going to release it on that pillow. Okay. I can tell you that study after study was done about this. You can look it up. Bushman, Gein and Quanti, um, studies that what? It's the worst possible advice. We do not do that. We do not take a punching bag and think of the person and punch the bag. We, we don't release. We, catharsis theory doesn't work. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It doesn't work. But I'll tell you what does work, which is very similar to that, and that's exercise. Exercise works. Jumping jacks, um, push-ups, taking a walk. I need to take a walk. Um, yoga exercises. There are other exercises you can do. It doesn't have to be like the real strenuous exercise. Ladies are listening to me saying, I can't exercise. First of all, you could exercise. You could go downstairs, go upstairs, maybe do some, you know, do some exercises. You, know, you don't have to go crazy exercises, but do some exercises. It helps, okay? Other exercises that might help, massaging your neck, your scalp. These things are, are other band-aids I'm giving you right now that for your first aid angry kit, that what will calm you down. So number one, breathing deeply. N like we said, number two, mantras. Number three, exercise. Exercise is so powerful. Exercise. Exercise is powerful before a fight, after a fight. I exercise is always, I shouldn't get into the fights, obviously that's what we're talking about, but exercise is very, very, very important. Jogging around the block. They've had studies that people, they have people like go on uh, treadmills and then they try to annoy them and they've seen how they weren't angry as the other people who were angry who didn't have the exercise before. So exercise is very important. You should, you should integrate exercise into your, into your daily routine. It's very, very important. Talking to myself also. It, it, it's very important, okay? But catharsis theory is just, it's, it's false. It does not work. Okay, next. Exercise does, though. There are other relaxation methods that you could use, okay? Progressive relaxation is, is a technique that can relieve stress, anger, and tension. Uh, according to the University of Maryland Medical Center, it's best actually performed lying down. I know it sounds strange, but consciously tense and relax the major muscle groups in your body. Close your eyes, tense your toes and feet for a few seconds, then release, and then tense your calves and lower leg, and then release. So you're, you're tensing and releasing, tensing, releasing, tensing, releasing. Very important, very important. Do this, do this. You're going to see it'll calm you down. Kas is toxic. Rise Gemara Shabbos says, you don't want to get cast. So, okay, so you're getting upset. So start doing awkward things. I'm telling you what to do. You'll see in Hashem, it's going to work. Next, very, very, very important. Very important. Distract yourself. I can't tell you how important. People tell me, oh, I can't distract myself. Rabbi Greenfield, it's very hard. I, I don't know how to distract myself. What should I do? You have to have a first aid kit. You're going to get upset. You know you're going to get upset at your spouse. It's going to happen. You always, you know, get upset, and then it gets to a fight. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you how to take your hats off, the A of the hats, because you don't want to get into a fight with your spouse. Distract yourself. Here's another tool. Figure out what can help you. I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one, listen to music. I'm telling you, get it ready because next time your husband gets you upset or your wife gets you, get the music ready. Put it on an MP3 player and just take it out and listen to it. Maybe it's a sheer. You have to distract. HaKadosh Bohu created us that we can only focus on one thing at a time. So if we distract ourselves, it'll help. Writing, if you're creative, painting um, could release tension. Do something else. Read a book. Oh, I don't want to read a book. I'm very upset. Force yourself to read a magazine. Ladies, you have magazines. Bina, Ami, Mishpacha. You want to read, you know, the magazines. Don't leave it for Shabbos. You know, give them some schusim. 
read the magazine. Well, I don't want to. Read it anyways. Read it anyways. You're going to see your mind's going to get distracted. You have to have a first aid kit. You don't want to release on your husband. You're not allowed to. It's us, sir. Okay, you're making you feel it's us, sir. It is us, sir. It is us, sir. It doesn't talk to you. Fine, so I'll tell you. You don't want to get, you're going dis- to distance yourself from your spouse. I'm talking to the ladies. I'm talking to the men. So, you know what I'm saying? Writing, listening to music. Um, you know what? Men, you, 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 you know, read, read a paper. You want, you want to look at a kosher news thing. Whatever it is, now's the time to do it. Get ready. Have a first aid kit. What's going to happen when you're going to get upset? What's going to happen when you're going to get upset? Do you have a first aid kit? These are things that work. And then, after you relax yourself to a certain point, to a certain stage, then you're going to be able to use the cognitive tools. Now you can start thinking. And you know what works best? Let me tell you what works best at this point. Dan lekav schus. Dan lekav schus. I can almost promise you that the re- whatever reason that you're upset about your spouse on, she did to you or, you or he did to you, I'm telling you, if you were in his shoes or her shoes, you would do the exact same thing. I'm telling you, you are. You have to be dan lekav schus. Because what kas really is, it's blaming. You're blaming the other person. Be dan lekav schus. Think to yourself, why did my wife do that? Why did my wife say that? Does she have her hats on? Maybe she has her hats on. So I'm not going to take her. Maybe he has his hats on. Maybe he had a very hard day. Maybe she had a very hard day. Maybe the kids were making her crazy. Dan lekavschus. You know, they bring it down to you like this. They say like this. There's an old Native American saying, which asks us never to judge another until we walked a mile in his moccasins. To put it another way, just bear in mind that I, if you'd been through what he had, been brought, been brought up in the same way he had, learned the same lessons, had the same experience that he had, you probably react exactly the same way. Could you imagine the psychologist are saying this? We had this for you. The Torah. Down the Kavzchos. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody else, with everything someone does. Simply try to understand why he did it, why she did it. And then you're going to see that will extinguish the flame that will let you be mevater. That would allow you to keep the Shekhinah in your house, keep the Shekhinah in your house, the Kedusha in your house, to follow in the way of the Gedele. And we're talking about Belsky, Zatzal, who his, his, he was Amad HaTayra, Amad HaChesed. He behaved the way Chazal told us to behave, to teach us how important Shalom Bayis, how important controlling ourselves, how important reigning in our Midos, reigning in our house, bringing shalom and bringing bracha to your house, bringing bracha to your house, those who have children to your children, great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and to all of Klai Yisrael. Thank you for listening. This has been Rabbi Yitz Greenfield. And uh, have an amazing, amazing, amazing week. Thank you.